everybody. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke 14, not 15. 15 is next week. Luke 14, and we're going to be in verses 12 through 24. Luke chapter 14, and we will be in verses 12 through 24, and we are looking at the parable of the great banquet. The parable of the great banquet. Now let's begin by remembering the context. If you got your Bible open there, you can kind of start in verse 1. If you'll remember, uh, this all begins with last week when Jesus is invited over to basically Sunday dinner. It's, uh, it's after the synagogue on the Sabbath. He's invited over to, to lunch or whatever the case may be by some Pharisees. And of course, Jesus, he's no respecter of persons. He, he loves all sinners, the good sinners, the bad sinners, the high, the low. And so he, he goes. But if you look in verse 1, you'll see that it says they were watching him carefully. In other words, this wasn't an invitation uh, to honor him. It wasn't an invitation born out of respect. Uh, this was an invitation meant to discredit him. They were, they're looking for something to show that he's not a man of God. Remember, uh, in this period of time, they speak for God to the people. They are, the, you know, they're not, there's no prophets during this time, and so they've risen to power because they say they speak for God. And here comes Jesus saying all these things, and he's getting this following. They're jealous, so they're looking for ways to discredit him. And we're not sure about this, but it seems pretty probable that they invite a man with dropsy uh, over to uh, the dinner just to see if Jesus will heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus, of course, does what Jesus always does. He, he, he lived a pretty simple life. He always did what was right and he always spoke the truth. No matter the circumstances, no matter the time, he always did what was right. He practiced righteousness and he spoke the truth no matter what. That, that's pretty straightforward. And so on this day, he does what's right. He heals the man of dropsy. And in doing so, he exposes the way that the Pharisees twist Scripture to make it fit their tradition. And then he turns around and he speaks a parable to them that we studied last uh, week, the parable of the guest. And he, and he, and he, he, he uh, gets on to them for their pride. He noticed how they're always seeking the places of honor at the dinner table. And so he tells a parable about how the kingdom of God is all about humility. And so he kind of exposes their pride. And so he's been invited to this dinner, and of course he's, he's probably already ruffled a lot of feathers. Um, and you would think he's done, but he's not, he's not done at all. Um, in fact, he's got a lot more to say, and what he's going to say is probably not only going to ruffle their feathers, it might even ruffle our feathers a little bit. So this is the next statement out of his mouth. Luke 14, 12 through 14. He says this, He said also to the man who had invited him, by the way, he's no longer speaking to the group as a whole, he's speaking directly to the host. He's speaking to the owner of the house. He's, he's speaking to the man who invited him there. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." 
Now, I want to, before we dive into that, into those words and dive into that passage, I want to remind us of something. When you read the Gospels and you go through not just the parables, but all the teachings of Jesus, you'll find over and over again that Jesus repeats a warning. And He says this, Be careful how you hear. The old King James may say something like this, Take heed how you hear. But He says it over and over again in the Gospels. After He's taught something, He looks out at the people and He says, Be careful how you hear. Now what does He mean by that? He's not talking about physical hearing. I mean, unless, you're, unless someone was deaf, they, they've heard. Everybody hears the same. We all hear physically what he said. And he's not talking about understanding. Because, by the way, what he said, was that clear? What he just said, was it clear? Yes or no? Now, there's no mystery there. He just said, when you give a dinner, invite the lame, the poor, the blind, the crippled, the, the dregs, the people, the street people. Don't invite your friends and your relatives. I mean, that's clear. It's not, it's not a mystery. He's not talking about understanding. What he's talking about is be careful what you do with it. You see, what he's saying is be careful that you don't let my words go in one ear and out the other. Be careful that you don't let my, my, my words come in one ear and then you justify them or change them and they come out the other side completely different. Be careful that you obey is what he's saying. Be careful that you take my words in, you get down into your heart, and then you step out and you, you walk in those words. I was reminded again this week, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to what? Obey. Don't teach them to memorize what I said. Don't, 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 that's not what it's about. You can memorize the whole Bible. And if you don't do it, it means nothing. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, He's just commanded us to do something. And what He's telling us is, be careful how you hear. Be careful that you don't let these passages, just, especially the hard passages, go in one ear and out the other, and you don't do anything about it. Now, why do I say that? Why do I stop before we go into a passage like this and kind of issue this warning? Well, here's the reason. Because when we read a passage like today, there are some people who will hear it and their first reaction will be, he doesn't mean that. He doesn't really mean that. He doesn't really mean that we're not supposed to invite our friends or our, our relatives or or, or anybody like that. Because if he really meant that, we'd have no more family reunions. We'd have no uh, more Sunday dinners. We, even the Lord's Supper, remember in the early church, the Lord's Supper was a meal, was it not? So he, if he really meant that you're not supposed to invite friends and relatives and brothers and sisters, then, then there wouldn't, really wouldn't mean any of that. So he really doesn't mean that. And so we justify it in our mind. And then what's, what's happened is we've basically diffused the text. We took all the power out of it. Yes or no? You've diffused the text and you just move on to the next passage and you complete, completely forget about what you read. And see, just like the Pharisees, what we've done is we've manipulated the law of Christ to preserve my comfort, to preserve my tradition. Everybody with me? 
that's very dangerous for us to do. So even the hard text, we have to be very careful that we don't say, well, he don't mean that. I was thinking this week, um, I'm about to say something, and I'm probably going to regret what I'm about to say. By the way, there's probably not a week goes by that I don't teach a lesson, and then I walk out of here and I regretted something I said. Last week, there was two things I said that I, I wish I had not said. And you may wonder what they are. Well, if they bothered you when I said them, you probably already know. And if they didn't bother you, then just forget I even brought it up, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter. But there was two things last week that I regret I said. And one of these is this. See, there's a lot of hard passages in Scripture. There's one where Jesus says, and I won't quote it directly, but basically says, if a thief robs you of your shirt, do what? Give him your coat. And what do we say? He don't mean that. He can't really mean that. I, you know, and, and, we, and we just move on, don't we? See, we're sitting there saying, you know, man, ain't nobody going to take my stuff. I pull out, I got a concealed carry. I pull out a 45 and put a bullet in his ear. And if you think that's facetious, there's Christians that talk exactly like that. Are you with me? See, we, we diffuse the text. He don't really mean that. And so we move on. And we don't take it, we don't take it to heart. And Jesus is saying, be careful how you hear. Be careful what you do with, with these things that I give you. John Piper, I ran, ran across a quote this week, and boy, I have really meditated on this. He said this, There is no better defense against the truth than a half-truth. Let me say that again, because that is... That is that's good stuff right there. There's no better defense against the truth than a half-truth. You see, what we'll do is we'll read something that Jesus says. When you invite, have a dinner, don't invite your friends and relatives and rich people that can pay you back. Invite the lame, the poor, the blind, the street people. And we say, well, you can't really mean that because there wouldn't be any more family dinners. We wouldn't have any more uh, Sunday suppers. And we just move on. And by the way, See, that is a half-truth. I don't think Jesus at all is saying that you can't have any more family reunions. I don't think that's what he's, what he's saying at all. He doesn't intend to cut all that out. That's, so everybody with me? So that is a half-truth. I don't think he means necessarily that. But see, this is the truth. This is the point he's trying to get across. What he's saying is be careful in every human heart there is a powerful and a terrible tendency to live by what I call the law of reciprocity. And I'm going to have to say that word about six times in this lesson, and I'm sure I'll, I'll mispronounce it one of these times. But there's a tendency to live by this law of reciprocity. And this is what I mean by the law of reciprocity. That means that all of the decisions we make, we always do what will pay off in my comfort. What will pay off in, in not disturbing me? It doesn't interrupt my routine. It doesn't put me, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. See, it's not always about just doing something for that person so they can scratch my back. Sometimes we don't do things just so we don't have to get out of our comfort zone. In other words, we always make decisions. This law of reciprocity, what makes me feel the best? What's best for me? in this situation, as opposed to what's best for, for other people. You see, the fact is, in, each, in our human nature, there's this relentless inclination 
to do the thing, to make the decision that will make our life most comfortable. It's relentless. It, it is inside of us. Everything is driving us that way. And it's an inclination that avoids inconvenience. It's an inclination that says, don't do anything that's going to agitate me. It's gonna, it's gonna, it says, don't do anything that might interrupt my precious routines or my precious traditions. That's the law of reciprocity. We always do what's best for my comfort, for my pleasure, for my state of mind. So how do we handle texts like this, which come and say, go do something that's completely what we don't want to do? And you see, many look at that statement and they say, well, you know, Jesus is, is just going over the top here. He, he's just making this radical statement because he just wants to make a, a point. He doesn't really mean <coughs> excuse me, that he wants you to do that. And, and by the way, let me tell you, those words are radical. They are radical words. And I'll tell you, if you dismiss them, most of us will dismiss them because we don't really understand how dangerous the human heart is. We don't really understand the danger. See, the human heart will just go through life making these decisions and it'll just pat you on the back and say, you're fine, you're fine, don't worry about it, man, you're getting along great. Because you just don't see, I'm a good person, and you just don't see how corrupt this law of reciprocity is and how anti the kingdom of God, see, it really is. But see, Jesus' words are radical because our sin is radical. See, Jesus looks into our hearts and He says, if you're living by that law of reciprocity, if you're living by that law that always does what's best for you, He's trying to wave a red flag and He makes this radical statement because what you're doing is dangerous. What you're doing shows that the kingdom of God is not ruling and reigning in your heart. Your, your heart is on the throne. You're on the throne, not Him. So it's, it's a danger if everything you're doing is all about me. And so He just makes this 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 radical statement because our sin is so radical. You see, the fact is, in the kingdom of God, who you invite to dinner matters. In the kingdom of God, who you invite to dinner matters. In Luke 6.24, Jesus is talking and He says this, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. In other words, what He's saying, you've already received your blessing. You've already received your your payback. You've already received what you're going to get. And you see, when you look at these Scriptures, the rich are condemned not because they have money. There's, there is absolutely nothing wrong with having money. That, that, that's not a bad thing or necessarily a good thing. They, they're condemned because they live by the law of reciprocity. There's another parable that we'll get to in just a second is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus shows this. You see, the use, how you use your money shows where your, the state of your heart. We, we've talked about this before. If you use your money to secure your life and, and pad your comfort and your luxury, it, the, the way you use your money just shows you live by that law of reciprocity. What's best for me? What's most comfortable for me? You don't turn around and use it for others. And it, 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 that's the danger. It's showing the state of our heart. And Jesus is in this dinner of the Pharisees and He sees them and they always invite people like them. And see, what He's trying to get them to see is look at yourself. 
Look at yourself. In Luke 16, 19 through 21, a very familiar parable. We hadn't gone over it yet, but we will. Jesus says, There's a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid. And, and, and I, I noticed this this week. See, somebody had to lay Lazarus at his gate. Lazarus, I don't know if the man could even walk. He couldn't keep the dogs from licking the sores off his leg. So somebody, a friend or a family member, took him and put him at the gate of the rich man. Why? Because they knew inside that gate was a man who had plenty. And they figure, you know, as, as this man's coming and going out of this gate, he's going to see this, this guy here with these sores and he's crippled. And maybe he'll give him some money or he'll give him some food. So they put him there for a purpose. But yet this rich man goes out of his gate every single day and never lifts a finger to help Lazarus. And you might ask, why didn't he do it? Why didn't he help Lazarus? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, because Lazarus can't do anything for him. There's no payback there. But the other thing is because it's an inconvenience. It's an agitation. It's an interruption. He has to actually stop from this important place he's got to go to help this little beggar here. And he just doesn't do it. You see, the rich man thinks he's free, but he's enslaved to this law of reciprocity. He wears the finest clothes, he he eats the best foods, and he doesn't inconvenience himself. He won't break out of his schedule or his... He's not going to do that. And at the end of the day, he dies and goes to hell. Why? Not because he has money, but because he lives by this law, I'm always going to do what's best for me. And he never sees those around him. Now we may ask, why does it make such an eternal difference whom you invite to dinner? Well, let me say, first of all, it's not so much that one dinner is going to change the fate of the world. In fact, one lunch or one dinner may not even change the life of those people you invite. The reason it makes an eternal difference is because it reveals where your treasure is. You know, the question is, is Jesus and His commands more valuable than your tradition and your convenience and your comfort? Is He your treasure or not? And by the way, guys, that, those questions cannot be answered at church. You don't answer those questions sitting in a comfortable seat in a building on Sunday. You answer those questions when you go back to your house and you go back to your life and you make those decisions every day. Is it about me or is it about somebody else? That's where those questions are answered. And here is Jesus at this dinner. And it happens to be just a Sunday dinner, but it could be a Thanksgiving dinner or a Christmas dinner. It's those kind of questions are answered hour by hour every day. Are we willing to inconvenience ourselves for those who can really not give us anything? That They can't add, add anything to our comfort. They can't add anything to our convenience. They can't repay us in any way. Are we willing to do that because Jesus is our treasure? See, those questions are answered at the dinner table. Those, those, are, those questions are answered sometime at El Jalisco on a Sunday after church when you've invited somebody that you don't even really know. And by the way... That's, I don't, some of y'all are really good at that. That's always uncomfortable for me. If we put it at a dinner table with people I don't know, is uncomfortable. Are you willing to be uncomfortable because Jesus is your treasure? So that's what this is all about. 
read it again. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they can't repay you, therefore you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. By the way, Jesus is watching. God is watching. God is writing things down. He's keeping score, so to speak. He knows what you're doing. And one day, He's going to say, remember when you did that? I'm going to repay you now for that. How He does it, I don't know. I don't know, but we'll have to see. You see, now let me... He, he mentions right here, go back, He mentions the resurrection of the just. Now, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. In fact, they saw it as a great banquet. Because that's how Isaiah described it. If you go back to Isaiah 25, and you don't need to turn there, Isaiah said this, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. He goes on and says God is going to swallow up death forever. He's going to wipe away. See, this is, this is heaven. This is, this is the resurrection of the just. And the Pharisees saw it as this great banquet. And see, they're convinced because they're Jews. They're children of Abraham. And they, they wear these robes and they follow all the rules and they're convinced because of that they're going to be at that great banquet. They think they are righteous. There's no doubt in their mind that when the resurrection of the just comes, they will be sitting at that table at the banquet of God. Now, we've talked about all this so far, and you may ask, well, this, this is, has nothing to do with a parable. Why would you spend so much time covering it? Guys, it's got everything to do with the parable. In fact, look at verse 15. When one of those reclined at the table heard these things, have we heard them here this morning? Somebody sitting at that table on that day heard the exact same words that you just heard. The exact same words. And watch how he responded. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He actually raises, it sounds to me like he's raising a toast. He's just heard all these words about don't be proud, be humble. Don't, don't, don't seek the best places at the table. When you have a dinner, invite the poor, the lame, and the blind, and the crippled, the, the street people, those who can't repay you. And you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Blessed is everybody who makes it to the kingdom of God. You see, all he wants to do is, he's so spiritual, he just completely forgets everything that Jesus said and he focuses on heaven. Oh, bless God, let's just talk about heaven. No, Jesus said, let's, let's talk about how you live every single day. Let's talk about that. Now, Jesus does not take this and just move on. See, this is what leads to the parable right here. That whole talk right there and what this man says leads to the parable. See, the man has just heard everything Jesus has said, just like we have. And basically what Jesus has said is you're too proud to get into the kingdom of God. You're not going unless you change. There needs to be dramatic change. But that man doesn't hear those words at all. They just go in one ear and right out the other. All he heard was heaven. Oh, I'm going to be there. doesn't matter how I live. I'm a Jew. I'm, I go to church. I, I teach Sunday school. I'm a, I was born in a Christian family. I... And see, Jesus is trying to say, look at your life. You're not going to heaven. And the man hears none of it. And why? Because he's entrenched in his religion and he's entrenched in his tradition. 
And anything that doesn't mess with the way he sees the world, he just pushes it aside. Anything that doesn't line up with his vision of how, how, how religion should be, he just pushes it to the side. Doesn't hear it at all. Does that sound familiar, by the way? You think people still do that today? Anything that doesn't line up with the way they was taught, they just, oh, that, he don't mean that. He can't mean that. See, this man is under the delusion he's going to heaven and he's not. So Jesus needs to shatter that delusion. And so what he does, he tells a parable. And his parable is made up of four parts. The first part is the invitation. Look at verse 16. But he said to him, now notice, Jesus is no longer talking to the crowd. He's not talking to the host. He's talking to that man. That man who Jesus just said, when you give a banquet, invite the lame, the poor, and the blind, and you'll be repaid in the kingdom of heaven. That man says, oh, praise God, I'm going to heaven. And Jesus said to him, to him, not everybody, to that guy. He says this, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. See, the parable begins with a man who's obviously very wealthy, probably very well off, to be able to put out a great banquet and do something like this. And, and this would be a mirror, by the way, that Jesus is holding up to them. Because they could understand this. They were well off. They were able to, to give these banquets. And see, remember we talked about last week, they loved this kind of stuff. They loved being invited to banquets and given the places of honor. They, they would have eaten this stuff up. So as soon as he said a man gave a great banquet, boy, they, their ears would have perked up because they loved it. This was right up their alley. They could see themselves in what was about to, to go on. And remember, a banquet in ancient days was a big deal. They, they lived pretty boring lives, right? I mean, back then, the whole, your whole life was about surviving. It was pretty boring. So if somebody gave a wedding or somebody gave a, a banquet or other some kind of gala, buddy, that was a big deal. That, that was a big deal, okay? So he sends out an invitation to a bunch of people. And by the way, the invitation would be very similar to invitations we would get today for a wedding or, or something like that. It would be very similar. But there would be one big difference in those days. An invitation in the ancient world would only identify the event. It would never identify a day and a time. If we get a wedding invitation today, it says on this day and at this time, you're going to be there. But see, back then, they couldn't do that. There's no clocks. There's no grocery store that you just run down and get the stuff. It takes time. Everybody with me? You gotta, you gotta get the animals, you gotta kill the animals, you gotta clean the animals, you gotta get everything together. It, it takes a lot of time to do those kind of things. So the world back then was a diff, completely different pace. So when you got an invitation, it never said on this day and time. It just said, you're gonna be invited, you're invited to this dinner. And you would expect then a second invitation that eventually a second invitation would come and it would say, okay, it's time. And see, that's exactly what happened. Looks at verse 17. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had already been invited, come, everything is now ready. So it takes, it takes time, everything's ready. He sends out his servants and they say it's time. Be there tonight or be there tomorrow, however he did it. But that, that's the second invitation right there. Now we see the second part of this parable, which is the excuses. Verses 18 through 20. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said to him, I bought a field, 
I got to go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I got to go examine them and make sure they're, they're working good. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and I, I can't come. So when you, you have to understand, in the ancient world, this would be considered outrageous behavior. Outra- you, this is something you did not do. When somebody invited you to a dinner, it was considered an extreme breach of courtesy for somebody to go to all this trouble, to extend all this hospitality and generosity, and for you not to come. That, you just, that didn't happen. In fact, it was so bad that in some ancient Eastern traditions, it literally would be considered an act of war. That's how big a deal this was. You just did not do this. When you were invited to a meal and you, you did not do it, you didn't go, that literally was a, you were declining their friendship. It literally was considered, a, a refusal was considered an act or a declaration of war. It's just, it was something that wasn't done. And I'm sure the Pharisees are listening to this story and they're thinking, this is a ridiculous story. Nobody would ever do that. Man, when you get invited to something like that, you go. Nobody would, nobody would decline. But you notice in this story, not only did, did some decline, they all did. I mean, there's excuses all over the place. And, I, and the Pharisees are thinking, this is, this is ridiculous. And by the way, unless the Pharisees think there's some really good excuses, Jesus gives three examples to just show them how lame these excuses are. The first one, I bought a field. Well, first of all, if you can buy a field, you got money. Are you telling me you can't go look at the field today? I mean, tomorrow you got to go today? I mean, that's a, that's a lame excuse. Another one says, I bought some oxen. Again, he's a wealthy man to be able to do that. Are, are you telling me, once again, he can't wait a day or two or three to go, to go look at those oxen? And then, of course, the only really halfway legitimate excuse is the third guy. Right? I married a wife. Now, this is funny. Read your verses. The first guy says, I bought land. Please have me excused. Notice how he asked excuse for it to be excused. Second guy, I bought oxen. Please have me excused. The third guy that married the wife, he didn't even, he didn't even ask. Read it. He didn't ask. He said, I, I just can't come. Now, there's no excuse. I'm henpecked. She, she runs the house. I don't know what to tell you. He doesn't even try to make excuses. He just says, I can't come. Matter of fact, I mean, poor guy, right? But there's the excuses. None of them, none of them measure up, right? It's not like the guy's laying on his deathbed. So these are all ridiculous excuses. And, this, and remember, the Pharisees are thinking, this is, this is a crazy story. This would never happen. Nobody would ever not go to something like that because they bought land or they married a wife. That's crazy. But you see, in the story, regardless, we've now got a problem. What is the man that's throwing the feast going to do? And this brings us to the third part of our parable, which is inclusion. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. So the head of the household, the man that's giving this banquet, he becomes very angry and, and, and you can understand why. These are, he's gone to all this trouble to, to put on this great banquet. And the people that are invited make up all these lame excuses not to come. 
And so he, he, he's just met with indifference. And so he's like, man, there ain't no way I'm going to cancel this banquet. The animals are killed. I've got everybody together. I've put together all this stuff. Preparations are made. So I'm going to, this event is going to go on. So he decides, I'll fill every seat, but it's not going to be filled the way I originally planned to, to fill it. So he says, go out and find street people. See, back in that day, there's no welfare. If you were lame and couldn't work, if you were blind and couldn't work, if you were crippled and couldn't work, you begged. Nobody takes care of you. You just went out on the street and you begged. That was the only way to survive. So these are, these are street people. These are the people in the slums and the shanties. These are the outcasts, the untouchables that, that nobody wants to have anything to do with. So the servant goes out and he brings them all in. He finds as many as he can in the city and brings them in to this. And he goes back and reports to his master, verse 22 to 23. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and there's still plenty of room. And the master said to the servant, Go out of the city. Go to the highways, go to the byways, go uh, to the hedges. Compel people to come that my house may be filled. Now that's a funny statement there. Can you imagine you're out, you live outside the city, you're just some poor dirt farmer, and a guy walks up your door, knocks on the door, comes in your gate or whatever and says, hey, this guy in the city, and everybody knows the guy in the city because he's, he's a wealthy man. Mr. So-and-so wants you to come. And this, this guy, first thing out of this guy's is this a joke? There's no way I would ever be invited to something like that. I'm not worthy to associate with those kind of people. How can I ever pay? See, back then, it was all about payback, right? You, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. How will I ever repay him back? I, and he says, compel them. That's, that word almost means force them. Convince them. Do whatever you have to do to get them here. Make them come. And see, the story has now turned... Remember, the Pharisees are listening. The first side of the story, all these, all these honored invitees won't come. And the, the Pharisees think, that's ridiculous. That would never happen in this day and time. But now, he's, turned, he's flipped the story, and it's another preposterous idea that a rich man, an honorable man, a wealthy man, would invite street people to eat with him was just as preposterous to them as the first one. There's no way that man would invite the scum of the city. There's no way he'd ever do that. See, it would never happen. To these Jews, that would never happen. This is a ridiculous story. And then finally, we get the fourth part of the parable, which is exclusion. Verse 24. Now, this is... I want you to see what this says. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, all along, this story has been in the third person. Jesus has been telling this story about a man who gives a dinner. He sends out his servants. The servants go out and invite these, these men who give excuses. And then they go out into the highways and byways. It's all in the third person. But all of a sudden, in the last verse, it changes to the first and second person. You see, this is no longer the story. This is the application of the parable. It's no longer about he and them. It's about you and I. It's about me and you now. This is not some story in the ethereal, just happen, I'm trying to teach a lesson. All of a sudden, this, he turns it and said, guys, this is about me and y'all. This is about us. This story is us. Luke, Luke 3.8. Jesus uses this statement, for I tell you, several times throughout late. I, throughout the book of Luke. I picked six or seven, but there's, there's more than that. 
Luke 3, 8, Jesus says, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Luke 7, 47, Jesus says, For I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Luke 10, 12, Jesus says, For I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Luke 10, 24, For I tell you, that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Luke thirteen twenty four. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for I tell you, many will seek to enter and not be able. And then we have today's verse. Jesus says, for I tell you. See, this isn't the king talking in the story. This is Jesus talking. And he says, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall ever taste of my banquet. See, this is, this is unexpected. Now this story that they saw is so preposterous is now about them. See, Jesus is saying to them, you will be excluded from that heavenly banquet. You, you're not going to be in the kingdom of God. You are not among the blessed. You are not going to be there at the resurrection of the righteous. He's talking to them. You see, this story, like all parables, is all about the kingdom of God. God is giving a great banquet. And you can look at this in multiple ways. It can, you can look at this as salvation. You can look at this as the eternal kingdom, the resurrection, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He invited Israel. He chose a man, Abraham, and He said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And He, and he chose Israel. They were His people, the chosen people. And He, he sends an invitation to them through the prophets, through the uh, men of God who wrote Old Testament Scripture. They are the pre-invited guests. They are the chosen people of God. They're, they've been given the Scriptures and the promises and the covenant. It was all about them. They're invited. Luke four sixteen through 20 one of my, I think, the most dramatic, probably, passage in all of Scripture, talking about Jesus, said this, And He came to Nazareth, where He had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolls the scroll and he looks and he finds the place where this is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolls up the scroll and he hands it back to the attendant and he sits down. And all of the people in the synagogue, all, there's not a, you could hear a pin drop. And all eyes are on him. And he says this, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That invitation, that Messiah that's coming to save, he's here today. It's fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Everything you've waited for, the second invitation is here. You see, they accepted the first invitation, but they rejected the second. You see, what those Pharisees thought, that'll never happen. People will never make stupid excuses. Who would ever miss that great banquet? That's exactly what they did. They, they stuck to their tradition. They stuck to their comfort. They stuck to their own honor. All of that stuff pales in comparison to being at the banquet of God, but yet they declined the second invitation. They rejected God's generous gift. So what does God do? 
he goes to the Gentiles. He goes outside of Israel. He goes into the highways and the hedges of the world and he finds the outcasts and he finds the rejected and he compels them to come and fill that banquet table. It's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast. See, God went out, and remember we talked about it last week, He went to that old stack of rusted tin, and He pulled us out, and He made something beautiful out of it. Now, what does this parable mean for you and I? Well, first of all, it's wonderful news for us, is it not? Those of us who are not Jews, it is a wonderful message. It's because the Jews rejected Him, He's come to us. And you are invited to attend. You are invited to accept that invitation. You are compelled to come. And if you're like me, if you've accepted that invitation and you're planning on being at that great banquet, by the way, now the script flips for you and I to go to compel others. Go to compel others. Go to the high. It's not quite time yet. We've been given the invitation. It's coming. But we've got time to get others to come to this great banquet. The question is, let's go back to that first passage. Are we willing, is Jesus our treasure enough to step outside of our comfort, to step outside of our convenience, interrupt our schedules, to go out to people that maybe it's not, we're not the most comfortable with? Are we willing to do that because He's our treasure? Next week we'll cover, uh, we're going to go to Luke 15. There are three parables in Luke 15. The first one is the lost sheep. The second one is the lost coin. And the third one is probably the most misnamed parable in the Bible. It's the prodigal son. It should be called the lost son. But it's all about losing something and finding it. We'll, we'll start on those next week in, uh, in Luke 15. Let's pray. Father,